And the rubber chicken says, <laughs> I was able to get myself a ghost gum without any background checks because I guess I'm a ghost chicken. Well, maybe you are. Oh, hey, stop it, rubber chicken. We got to get on with the show because this is Lewis Black's Rantcast number 38 called Thoughts and Prayers and Cray Cray. Well, it certainly is Cray Cray. Let me tell you, Rubber Chicken, uh, you have received some harsh criticism this week. Someone has sent in a rant about you. Okay, calm down, calm down. Here it is. I'm going to read this to you, but I think I just lost it. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Greg Garland sent this in. That's right. He said, enough of the fucking rubber chicken on the Rancast. It was funny a couple of times, but now it makes me want to throw my phone across the fucking room. I can't take it anymore. I quit listening, but the show helps me fall asleep at night. Oh, you have, I won't even begin to tell you what that rubber chicken just said about you, Greg. He is angry. He is pissed. He is one hell-bent rubber chicken. And I don't know if a rubber chicken is male or not. I guess not. Maybe he's transitioning. But Greg, he is coming after you. He is pissed. I, I don't even use the kind of language that that rubber chicken just used. Even I do not cross those borders. Okay? And it's unbelievable to me for you to insult that rubber chicken. Okay? A historical figure in the realm of comedy. All the way back. All the way back to vaudeville, Greg. That's why I use him. That and the fact that I needed a sidekick and I can't afford a real one. And the rubber chicken was there and said, I want it. Yes, I want to do it. And so I grabbed him when I had the chance. And also because Mark Lynn Baker and I, when we did a show at the public theater, we used a rubber chicken. Mm-hmm. And nobody bitched about that. They laughed, Greg. They laughed. Maybe, you know, maybe you shouldn't be listening to it on the radio. That's what the rubber chicken said. He said, fuck you and your, the radio, fuck you and your fucking phone. That's what he was saying. You know, don't listen on a phone. You don't, you miss all of the rich vibrato, the bass, the tenor, all of the notes that the rubber chicken gives to you, you are missing. And it is disturbing that you would listen to it on just a tiny little piece like that. Try, okay? And then you say you fall asleep anyway. So what do you give a shit? It's only on for like a minute. You can fucking go. You can go right through it. You can fast forward if you want. It's ridiculous. And now I'm dealing with a, a, a you know, and you know what else? You know, it, it puts you to sleep. Well, for well, why didn't you? Maybe I should sell it as a uh, as a sleep aid. You know, do one of those late night uh, TV fuck ads. Right? And, and, and then have the rubber chicken as my sidekick sitting there going and making those honking noises and people just passing out around the country. Hear the, and I'll bring you on the show, Greg. And I'm not paying you because you're a paid testimony. I'm not giving no paid testimonials. No siree, Bob. Mm -mm. You are not getting paid for this. Not after you insulted that. I got to deal with that chicken today. You understand that? A chicken is crying. You know what it's like to deal with a rubber chicken that's weeping? I got to put it down in its little box. And it's, oh, what happened to me? He's all day bitching. You know, they, I'm not going to, they're not, he's worried about whether the Congress voting for infrastructure for the, the, the hen house. Are you shitting me? God damn it. And what if he is a ghost chicken? Hmm? What if that's legit? 
wandering around your apartment, huh, Greg? Sneaking around, right? You hear that little, wah, wah, late at night, waking you up. Watch out, bro. Rubber chicken's coming your way. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a hell of a week. Things are really rolling along, aren't they? Yes, sirree, Bob. We're doing a tremendous crackerjack job at the borders we have for years. And now they're pointing fingers again. Now it's their fault. No, it's their fault. At first, it was his fault. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, they act like it started with Trump. What Trump did, I mean, that whole thing of separating families, reprehensible beyond belief. But it also is weird that you've got, you know, uh, under Biden, you can't, they, they, the, uh, they're not allowing journalists and, and, and very rarely are, are folks allowed in there to, the, you know, to, to make a r- report from inside and what's going on there. And what they were saying today, they said that it's at 103% capacity. We got nowhere to put them. They're going to have to take people from other jobs. You know, will they take four months off to take care of the kids? It's beyond belief. And stop pointing your fingers at each other. Okay. This goes back years. You hadn't figured out what to do with the border there. You didn't know shit about what to do 30, 40 years ago, okay, when I was a kid in terms of Guatemala, okay, or the, I mean, Central America, Ecuador, you didn't give a shit, except how it helped us, all right? Now they're knocking at the doors. These people are scared shitless. They're so scared shitless that their kids are, they're fucking, they're sending their kids out of there, okay? I'd last fucking two weeks. I, I wouldn't, I, I can't imagine lasting a week, you know? Where's my bug spray? But, you know, I need Benadryl. I've been, I got bitten every, I would be, I'd be bitten by a, a, a non-poisonous snake I dropped dead. Are you, what is the matter with us? Sit down and figure out what the fuck. Look, I'm sick of it. I don't care. But what about, I don't give a shit. People, we have reached that turning point for me. It's something I've felt all my life. Okay. We have to help each other. That's the deal. It's that simple. All right? And, and now's the time that we need to help these people. There are borders everywhere where people are just fleeing nonsense. And now they're coming here. They're coming here because we have painted this picture. And, and stop painting the picture then. You know, send them, a, send them the real picture that we don't really know what the fuck we're doing, do we? Huh? Send them that picture. Then they, then they, you know, boy, well, we really don't, you know, have, have them listen to the, the arguments that, that go on in Congress between two people and then translate it for them. It may, but even that won't stop them. Okay? They're going to come through. Build the wall as high as you fucking want. It doesn't work that way. People want, people want freedom. People want out. People want democracy. That's the way it is. People want to feel safe. And they'll travel miles of not being safe to be safe. And the least we can do at the end of the day is sit down together as a group of people, no matter where you're, what side your political belief is, and figure out how the fuck to make it happen. And that's that. Not that I know, but I do know that people, that they, there are a lot of people who do know and devoted their lives to it. They actually, they actually, the, um, this will give you an idea of the immigration service. When I got out of college, um, I took a civil service test and they wanted me to, uh, 
they offered me a job in the Department of Immigration. They said, would I be willing to to uh, use a gun? They wanted me to uh, uh, be trained, uh, you know, and I'd carry a gun with me and be trained in, in the use of a firearm. I said, no, I can't do that. I mean, I can't imagine myself wandering around trying to track uh, illegal pe- people who are illegal. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Uh, and I, I, I don't really know if that was what it was or not, but I wasn't going to, you know, the idea of me wandering around with a gun made no sense. One of the reasons I might be a little scattered this week is I, uh, I had a, I went down and saw my mother last, uh, last week. I had the opportunity to spend, uh, I had two, twice I got to spend time with her this week, which is great. Usually it's just, I come in, see her and then come on back to New York city. But we, my friends, Will, Willie and Janae took me down there. We, uh, we went in and saw her, stayed the night, and then came, came saw her on the way out the next day. So it was great. Got a couple hours with her. Brought down a uh, a, a big book that uh, was given to me by um, the folks who do uh, uh, Finding Your Roots, the show with Henry Louis Gates. It'll be on April 20th, and uh, you can find out uh, how I was spawned, <laughs> where this nonsense came from. And... Uh, but I was able to show my mom the book. It's an extraordinary. They find documents that are unbelievable. Photos of the boat that, uh, that my, I think my grandmother came over and my grandfather came over on a different boat on her side of the family. They had a ton of, you know, my father's side. They had a ton on her side. And she she was, uh, it really, it was great because she was, um, you know, it really brought her memory back. Um and she was able to talk about the family and even some of the stuff she didn't know. Um, and uh, she uh, really had the chance to uh, to talk about uh, the family and the memories and, uh, and where they lived and uh, when they got to New York and uh, where she went to school. She graduated, she graduated high school at 15. She was in Hunter College uh, in New York City by the time she was, well, 15, actually. So, uh, and it was just really uh, great to be in the presence of that, um, of my mother uh, really being quite clear and quite lucid because at 102, after, after being in a lockdown situation, like all of us, and really, as you well know, when you're not, you, with, with a lack of real company except your caregivers, and they're terrific, but, you know, not, when you're not with people, and we all know this, uh, the brain tends to go. You you watched it. I mean, probably heard it. In my rant catches. Gee, I wonder what's the matter with Mr. Black. Uh-huh. And you call me Mr. Black because you go, wow, he's really old now, and uh, because the the gears slip. Because without that kind of bounce every day that you get off of other people, your brain has a tendency to just sit and, and stew in its own in its own fetid juices. Um, so it was really good to uh, to see her blossom in that way. And then we went off and I played a really shitty round of golf, but was lucky to be able to do that. And uh, and then um, went out the, and then ate at a restaurant that I used to take my parents at. They they had discovered it. It was a and and be able to sit there. We did a, their um, I guess their sixty fifth or sixty seventh. I can't remember anniversary was there. See, I can't remember. And then um, the next morning got up, 
went back, saw, and now uh, because of that lack of being seeing people, because one of the things uh, maybe mentioned this, the they've uh, the the people who bought. Uh, the new owners of uh, my mother's facility, which is what I will call it, um, have, are renovating, which is great, but they did without any fucking planning so that uh, the folks have no common area after being in lockdown for this long. They have not created, after finally being vaccinated, where they could share a common space. There is no common space where they can spend time together. It's, it's ridiculous. It's awful. And uh, so they can go outside and when, the, when the weather gets nicer. And my mother's always, and it's, and it, but it's to like go through this whole area that's just kind of still being, I've gone there. Nothing is really, you know, there's still, you know, working away there. Working away. And uh, so, um, but so as a result, she lives in a, from time she goes to a fantasy land that she lives in. It's a, uh, uh, you know, which is a, a creation, I, I guess, in part from, from you know, that, that isolation and also from um, a place to be that uh, gives her some sense of security, uh, I think. She told stories uh, of her past, and this time they were all made up and they were all... They, when she does this, it, it's like a quilt made up of a variety of things that... Some are true, and then uh, there are things that she's taken, and um, she's gone further with them. And so she probably saw Marie Chevalier live, uh, because back then you could, and uh, it was affordable. And um, she says she saw him in concert, and he was singing a song, and uh, it really upset her. And she said this is a historical moment, because she stood up and told Marie Chevalier, no. No, Mr. Chevalier, you cannot sing this song. It is not your song. And so you shall not sing it. And so Marie Chevalier stopped singing the song. And apparently the audience rose as one and gave my mother a standing ovation. Um, and then she took credit for uh, the launching, not launching, but basically or, or getting most of my friends started, you know, got them into theater. She's the one who said, that's what you should do. You should act. In a way, that's based on a certain reality because my parents were uh, hugely supportive of my friends uh, in the theater and in the arts. They were extraordinary. Uh, if, if, if there would be a show in town, it wouldn't be my show down at the West Bank. And they'd be doing a one act. And my parents knew... You know, if they, if, you know, or if it was a play I thought they'd like, or it was friends that uh, I that they knew of mine, friends of mine, they would come in for the weekend and watch the show and sit and have uh, dinner with them, or afterwards have a, a you know sit and have uh, hang out and talk about it. They uh, they really were, uh, you know, they were they were splendid that way, and um, and so it was it was good to spend time with mom. It, it, emotionally, it, it's it's rugged because uh, you know it, at times it's real. It's it's as exhausting as it is uplifting, um, and uh, it's emotionally overwhelming. And that's why I, I think it's it's a bit exhausting because you go, wow, we we've, we've been through a lot. Boy, have we ever! <laughs> Meanwhile, Mitch McConnell was very upset about the 
CEOs uh, becoming involved with this vote in Georgia, very upset that they were being so critical of it. And uh, he felt that the CEOs should, uh, you know, stay out of politics. And I think he said that because really that's, for all intents and purposes, what he's been doing forever. He's been staying out of politics. We're not going to vote on this. Nope, you're not going to vote on that. We won't be voting on this. There's no vote. No, no reason to vote. Nope. I know you want to talk about it. Nope. We won't talk about it. We won't discuss it. Nope. No. And that's what you're supposed to do. Okay. That's what politics is. Politics is you're supposed to get together with a group of fucks you don't like and that you don't and that piss you off and who believe other things than that you do and fucking figure out what needs to be done. I do hope that um, one of the things that we learn from this time period is, is that, uh, that we can, and this never happens again over the last year or so, uh, never mix up health and politics fucking again, okay? You don't get to pull that shit. Nobody. Because it's, it's bullshit. They're two different disciplines. They're two different fields. All right. That's why they're spelled differently. Okay. So even if you don't know what they are, that way you you don't confuse them. You know, they're different things. H-E-A-L-T-H-P-O-L-I-T-I-C-S. Okay. Got it. Write it down on a card. Certainly a bunch of fucking congressmen and and the former leaders should have known that. God. So if you have a lump under your arm, let's say, do you think, uh, wow, this is really disturbing? Might be a real health issue. Maybe I should uh, go see my local congressman or uh, the mayor or um, a council person or uh, who, whoever I can get an appointment with first or who's ever the cheapest. <laughs> and then um, if, let's say, your school needs something like... Uh, the library needs uh, its books, you know, they need more books. You need some funding. You think, boy, she's, I got to, I got to really get to uh, a pulmonary specialist to work this out. I got to find a proctologist uh, to help me really uh, get this funding. And yeah, and, and the proctologist can shove his hand up your ass and look for a, a fucking golden egg that might be sitting there. Pull that out and you can sell it. They're different things, okay? Don't ever forget that. It's this simple. Politics isn't healthy, and health isn't political. It's that simple. Let's repeat that. Politics isn't healthy, and health isn't political. Hmm. That's lesson 42. That's your civics lesson for today. I'm sure you'd been waiting for that one. If I had a little blackboard, I'd write on it. A few more things before I go. First, from the week, my favorite. Um, It was reported that former Olympian and reality TV star, Caitlyn Jenner, hasn't been around for a while, or I've been missing her, is exploring a run for California governor as a Republican against uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, who's facing a recall election. Because that's who you'd like to get, um, is Caitlyn Jenner, who's so well-versed in the art of uh, how to run a government. You know, 
uh, her uh, on her resume is uh, uh, one of the great Olympians of our time, and uh, and lived with the Kardashians. Tremendous, and brilliant enough, and brave enough, really, to become uh, uh, to to transition from being a man to a woman, and then really brave, so brave that joins a party which throughout the country, in many places, uh, the uh, Arkansas being one of the, the, the most recent, that are passing laws that uh, are completely uh, anti, <laughs> anti your gender. <laughs> They're anti-gender. They just can't handle it. It's unbelievable. And you're going to side with them. It's, 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 you're going to change them? Maybe that's it. Maybe work from the inside. Certainly worked. You certainly got the Jenners. I mean, you got the um, Kardashians on track. Maybe if we, uh, maybe that would be the thing uh, to show, uh, to, to kind of get to, across to the people down there. Say, well, look at this. Have this former Olympic champion comes a woman and then runs as a republic. I don't think they, no, I don't think that would work. It was an idea. And finally, uh, former President Trump called on his supporters <laughs> to boycott Coca-Cola, whose CEO has criticized the new Republican voter laws. Oh, oddly enough, in Georgia. But, and this is perfect, was photographed the next day at Mar-a-Lago with a bottle of Diet Coke imperfectly hidden behind his desk-mounted telephone. Well, that's just perfect. Nothing says leadership more than hypocrisy. At what point, you know, don't get a shot, but I'm getting one and I'm not going to tell you. Don't, don't drink Coke. Don't buy it. But I'm, I got a diet Coke here and can't even, doesn't have the common sense to fucking hide it. Wow. Well, that's it from here. And that's, and that's enough. We are uh, not rolling in any town today. We are just going to go with the uh, rants that rolled in. Once again, um, can't thank you enough for uh, what you're doing. Remember, uh, you know, if you, anything now, everything, if you got a story you want to tell, make it a story based on the reality you're living. I, I'm not going to be reading fiction. I'm not interested. Uh, some folks have found... Um, Somebody wrote in a thing about, you know, find something on a website you find fascinating, whatever. You want to rant about something? You want to relate something about uh, something that's happened to you in terms of all of the experiences that you all have had? And I will go through them and I will try to get as many done as I can. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to read uh, what you send in. Uh, and I'm thrilled to be a part of your lives on, on this level. And I hope I'm, I'm doing uh, your words justice, but most importantly, take care of each other and, and uh, keep sending me your, uh, whatever you got to send in, keep sending me your words. They, uh, they sustain me. They are uh, truly the, uh, it's as important as food at this point. And food, as you well know for me and wine, really fucking important. Thank you. Love you. Take care of each other. See you next week.
this comes to us from Colin B. Thank you, Colin. Before I say anything else, I'd like to thank you, whoa, for the service your Rantcast provide to my mental health. Really? I'm on the autism spectrum, which means that loud, chaotic environments really mess with my head. But for whatever reason, listening to you shout about everything under the sun is borderline therapeutic and helps me stay focused. Boy, I wish it helped me stay focused. <laughs> I'm glad it does help. I assume people think I'm listening to the music when they see me in the grocery store with earbuds in. Oh, if only they knew. Now on to my rant. What is the fucking deal with American hostility toward the rest of the planet? In my junior year of high school, I told my friends that I wanted to study in Germany. The response, careful, that's where Nazis live. When I tried to explain that, no, that was in the 19 fucking 40s, and it's been more than half a century, they ignored me and instead demanded to know why I hated America, because I was daring to consider leaving it. Here's a thought, asshole. It's not about you. Anyway. Frustrated with the lack of support, I didn't bring it up again. Fast forward a year and a half, and I actually go to Germany, only to be labeled a traitor by my former friends and cut out of the group. The time I spent there was the happiest 16 months of my life. Upon coming back to visit my family for the holidays, my sister jokingly said that Europe didn't exist. My grandfather, upon finding out that my best friend in Europe was a Chinese classmate, told me to keep an eye on him because he was probably up to something. Now I'm studying in Croatia, and outside of my family, all but one of the Americans I bothered to stay in contact with either think the country is full of violent lunatics or didn't know it existed in the first place. Are you shitting me? I was completely blindsided by this behavior from who, people who I thought were totally reasonable until one day I had an epiphany. I'm not familiar with how the whole first world, third world system actually works, but a friend here recently explained that Croatia is classified as third world. Oh, suddenly it all made sense. The pleas from my grandparents to be careful, even though the smallest amount of research would tell them that where I live is perfectly safe, the thinly veiled discomfort when I announced I'd been accepted to a university here compared to the massive celebration when my sister was accepted to one in Texas, the fact that when I'd been in Germany, everyone had been clamoring to visit, but are now insisting that I instead come back to the USA, pandemic be damned, with two simple words, they thought they knew everything they needed to know about this place. Two fucking words. Third world, I guess, right, Colin? Why is our default response to other countries either distrust or dismissal? How can we claim to be a melting pot of different cultures when we're so ready to insult those cultures ourselves? I can't count the amount of times I ran into Americans in Germany who were raging at locals for not speaking English. In the airport, a man was complaining that security hadn't allowed him to bring his guns. When I confronted an American classmate for mocking a Tunisian teacher, I was accused of siding with the socialists. As you've said before, if everyone's looking at you like you're nuts, you're probably fucking nuts. At this point, 
That phrase seems to apply on a global scale. To be clear, I know this isn't everyone. Some of the kindest, most empathetic and selfless people I've met have been Americans. And I know a lot of us disagree with this sort of insane nationalist zeal. But watching your family, people you've spent your life looking up to, write off an entire nation because it's been classified as third world is terrifying. Having your friends of many years turn on you the instant you say things might be better elsewhere is terrifying. These are the generations of the past and the future. And to see them express the exact same brand of arrogance is not a good sign. I hope the day comes that I don't feel unwelcome in the States for daring to leave them. Thanks for letting me get this off my chest. Oh, and the first time you opened a rant with the rubber chicken squawking, I almost had a heart attack. Sincerely, Colin. Thank you, Colin. Well, I mean, Croatia. I've wanted to go. We almost went a couple of years ago. We were trying to almost got to Dubrovnik, which is, if you're there, I, and I wonder if you've been there, it's supposed to be an absolutely spectacular place to visit. Uh, my, all of my friends who've, who've been there have, have uh, said it's really uh, just exceptional. Enjoy your time in Croatia. I've always believed it's good to leave here. And even years ago when I was in France, one of my memories of, of uh, I'd gone there to, to, um, to take one of those uh, riverboats down the, the Seine, it's the Seine to visit uh, Monet's home and, uh, uh, and uh, a lot of wine drinking. And uh, I'd gotten back and, uh, and came down Sunday, a small, just a, a small little um, uh, hotel, now, even, you know, like maybe 10 or 12, 15 rooms, nothing spectacular, really a medium price place, simple. And there's, a, <laughs> it's, it was Monday and the, um, there, is one of my fellow Americans standing there screaming at the guy on the desk, the Frenchman, screaming at the top of his lungs that how come they don't have a USA Today so he can get the football scores? It never changes. It was amazing to read that uh, they were they were still bitching. Oh, man. We got to grow up. We will one day. I hope it's not too late. Thanks, Colin. Liz Snidey sent in this uh, take on an old joke of mine. Lewis, I wanted to sincerely thank you for inspiring me to unleash my inner asshole and find unspeakable joy in mind-fucking my friends and family. While I was redecorating my apartment, I had clips from your past shows playing on my TV. Little did I know... One of your bits would fiendishly spring to mind during my shopping for some new wall art. I found a blank faux deer head trophy. As soon as I saw it, all I could think of was, if it weren't for my horse, I thought of the horrors inflicted on your mind after hearing a phrase so full of nonsense and stupidity that it bordered on torture for those of reasonable intelligence. That's uh, the quote is, if it weren't for my horse, I wouldn't have spent that year in college, which I heard in an international house of pancakes. 
for those of you who didn't know. I thought about it, and I wondered if something that dangerous to the sanity of mankind could be delivered by simple chance and without careful planning, what pain could be inflicted if I created an earworm phrase deliberately and with infinite time to perfect it? I purchased that deer head and covered it in a pink pattern gift paper and mounted it in the entryway of my apartment. And while the door blocks it from view when you enter, my little Bambi from hell is on full display as you leave. Now Bambi is not the only thing on this wall. Right underneath the mounted pink nightmare is a small sign. It reads, do not trust the platypus. This is my new joy in life, watching my friends make the just smelled a fart face or one that says a stroke is on the way all because they tried to make sense out of the platypus and his pal, the pink deer. I giggle every time I think about those poor souls just sitting in the parking lot, frozen in place with the engine running because they need to work it out before they can move on in life. Yes, I know my little black heart finding such glee in potentially inducing mental illness or distress on my loved ones makes me a total cunt. And I'm perfectly content with that moniker. I hope you also see the joy in this and see just how much I appreciate your work. You may not be reading a Lewis Black style personal rant right now, but think of how many violent outbursts and anger-filled rants we've just gifted through the world through this comedic homage to you. Thank you for all the laughter and inspiration. No, thank you, Liz Snyder, who's really uh, took something that uh, I just overheard and shared with the world, uh, and you've taken it to a new place. And I'm, and, and even to call yourself, as many say, the C word. <laughs> that you're content with that. That's just splendid. Thank you so much. A while ago, I had uh, asked folks to write in um, their ideas for constitutional amendments, and this was written by Mark Wright. Uh, this is his constitutional amendment recommendation. First, all elected uh, or as appropriate appointed members of the legislative executive, or judicial branch of the federal government shall receive an annual compensation of no more than 8,760 times the federal minimum wage. Two, the federal minimum wage shall, by no later than December 31st, 2021, neither be raised nor lowered by any legislation, and therefore can no longer be a topic of discussion every election year. Rather effective, on January 1st of 2022, it shall be automatically adjusted annually based upon the nation's inflation or deflation rate of the prior year as reported by the Federal Reserve Bank. Problem solved, Lewis. Oh, where did the 8,760 figure come from? That's giving our duly elected, appointed officials the benefit of the doubt. It assumes that they are working for the American people nonstop, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, 
what to do in a leap year. They can take a fucking day off. <laughs> and it's $7.25 per hour. That comes out to $63,510 per year. Even at $15 per hour, that's $131,400 a year, or roughly $42,600 less than those Brooks Brothers meat sacks in Congress make now. It's called public service, not profit service. I can hear them lamenting now, Lewis. Oh, we can't live off of that. No. We'll do what the rest of Americans do. Get a second job. I hear they may be hiring personal ball washers at Mar-a-Lago. Scrubbing and washing, Lewis. Scrubbing and washing. You've got until the end of the year, you sad sacks. Get going or get scrubbing. Maybe that would get them to raise the minimum wage. Boy, that's good. Boy, to think that you, at, at 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, at $7.25 an hour, that's still $63,510 a year. Wow. You could live on that in New York, as I've said time and again, for about, well, well you couldn't live in, I don't know if you could live in New York City except with 16 other people. And, and thanks for bringing back the personal ball washers. <laughs> I've always been a, one of my, it was, there are certain jokes that I hated to, to give up, and that was one of them. This comes from um, my friend Nancy Stanley, who is uh, not only a comedian, but a lawyer. Uh, definitely a good combo. And I'm reading this because uh, I, I feel like many of us uh, have gone through what she's, uh, what she feels in this, uh, <laughs> what she's going to relate to us, but also she snapped and acted upon it. And some of you may have done that, but I'm sure many of you have felt it and reached that boiling point. I have, um, but I haven't <laughs> haven't acted on it, which is unusual for me. Uh, so here we go. Well, I finally lost it. Lost every bit of that live and let live. We'll get through it together. COVID kumbaya facade that I've been trying to affect for these many long months. Forgot my skills, lost my bearings, went absolutely apeshit. Maybe there's a video. Maybe it happened too fast for anyone to unpocket their cell. Don't know. Don't much care. In fact, I don't really know how to feel. 20 minutes ago, I parked at the Trader Joe's thinking of nothing but how those delicious cara cara oranges were going to taste after a really long day. A day that had, I only now realize, worn on me like the drip of a leaky faucet on a bar of soap in the sink. I'd worried about my mom, whose last years on earth have been so narrowly conscribed by a deadly virus that other people had the ability to prevent with a scrap of fabric. Earlier today, I thought about a recent conversation with my dancing daughter, who will not get to grace the stages she has dreamed of or enjoy the performing career she earned with years of pulled muscles, punishing practice, and admirable determination. The first thing I read this morning was a New York Times story about a frightening percentage of evangelicals who won't get the vaccination. 
I cried over that because their actions mean that this goes on and on, variant after variant, keeping us locked in uncertainty and fear. And yes, I thought about myself living the toughest year of my life in lockdown and wondering now if I'll ever be ready to touch anyone again, get on a plane or even go to a restaurant without several reconnaissance missions. All of those were in the rubber band ball of thoughts that you have during a busy day. You set them aside. I guess I hadn't really, though. A woman was pulling her basket out of the cart corral at the same time I was. The guy at the door reminded her to put on her mask, and she did. Three steps into the store, parallel with me, in the first wide space, she stops, takes her mask, and puts it in her pocket. Hold on to that thought for a minute. As those who know me can attest, I'm no stranger to making the occasional public scene. My ex remembers the time I physically accosted a drunk guy who was pouring booze into the seal exhibit at the New England Aquarium, but he totally deserved that more. My kids still don't bring up the spectacular meltdown I had at a Taco Bell, but it was smack dab in the middle of the menopause years, and there would have been some invocable diminished capacity defense. I'm pretty sure. Yes, I've been a Karen and a waiter's night from hell, and usually I'm generally sorry for losing my shit. While I think expressions of anger and dissatisfactions, even strong ones, can be valuable, I'm usually embarrassed for acting badly and unproductively in the moment. But there was something about the way she pulled off that mask, something defiant and superior, like an enormous, meaningful act of civil disobedience was about to get underway. Instead, she was just a tired-looking, nondescript, 60-something woman like me, standing between shoppers and their safe passage to the fruit bins. So I started yelling, hey, where's your mask? Your mask, put on your mask. You shouldn't be in here without a mask. She sped up to get past me. She looked again. Hell, everybody looked. After about 30 seconds of pitching a fit, I had the presence of mind to turn around and leave the store. No huffing out. No grumbling as I put my cart back, just collected myself and left. But then, after tonight, I'm pretty sure that every parking lot altercation in history has taken shape during the walk back to the car. If tonight had turned out differently, I suppose it would have been what an eager young prosecutor would have called the premeditation period. Of course, I had no real intention of getting into a rumble with this woman. First, because that's not the way civilized human beings address their grievances. And second, because even though I had 30 pounds on her, she had the vague vibe of someone whose resume might have included breeding fight dogs. So I stood about 20 feet outside the store and pretended to take pictures of her leaving. I took no actual pictures because I never, ever have a charge phone when I need one. Uh, but that's a different long post. She sees me, which is, of course, the point, and barrels straight towards me, yelling, what the hell are you doing? I just stand there, 
We're maybe 10 feet apart, cart between us. And she has no purse, so I've ruled out a gun. No one is approaching us. They're riveted in place. I don't see any phones. We have an exchange of words, not terrible words, but forceful ones, because we're screaming. I ask her why she's a sociopath, why she wants to kill people. She shouts that there's no mask mandate. She tells me to leave her alone. I remind her she was trying to hit me with her cart. She tells me to mind my own business. I spit out something about TJ's requiring masks and had something ridiculous about her not believing in the free enterprise system. It wasn't my best line. We scream at each other for a really long minute, and then she wants to go. She doesn't want to let me know which car is hers, though, so she storms off, winding her cart around and through the cars like a rat in a maze. I have to tell you that watching her do this was enormously satisfying. It just was. As for the whole incident, I'm not proud at all. Neither am I ashamed. That's the big difference to the other times I've lost it in public. I'm so tired of people not doing what it takes. I know people who have died of this, watched others died, suffered. New generations will be paying these bills for the rest of their lives and can't begin to measure their opportunity costs. I've lost so little compared to others, yet we've all lost so much. We're changed to the core. I'm writing this because it's emblematic of the reshaped world we're in now, a place where pain breaches the dam, spills over, and swallows up our everyday interactions. I settled nothing, improved nothing, convinced no one. Still, it felt weirdly powerful to throw a little shame at shameful behavior. And somehow, I know it will happen again. My name is Nancy. And if you're maskless in the Trader Joe's, I'm coming for you. (laughs) That's from Nancy Stanley. I think we all understood what she went through there. I think we've all been moments away from it if we haven't gone through it. Thanks, Nance. Amy Turin had this story to share with us about why we have a uh, healthcare system that is so broken and uh, how it breaks us. Many of us, all of us in its own way. Um, can't, you know, it's like uh, when I was trying to quit smoking and they said, uh, you know, they wouldn't help pay for the, whatever that, whatever the drugs were that would uh, help me quit smoking. No, not. the health insurance companies weren't interested in that. But this is a powerful uh, tale. And I think gets to the heart of the matter. This isn't funny. So my apologies in advance. It is, however, rage-filled. A boy I went to high school with has a three-month-old son who was recently rushed to the hospital with a serious brain bleed. In the course of identifying and rectifying this brain bleed, the doctors discovered that this child is missing factor nine, a clotting agent. The medication this three-month-old child will need for life, for life, costs in excess of 
$500,000 a year. How the fuck are we still in 20, goddamn 21, still asking parents to decide between financially devastating their entire family and letting one of the children die? How the fuck is this still a thing in this year, in this country, and with this level of national wealth telling people why, yes, we do have a cure for that, but only if you are part of the absolutely teeny tiny majority who can afford it. Let me be clear. This child does not need access to expensive technology, ongoing elite care, or time and resource intensive procedures. No, this child needs a 15 cent syringe and one vial of medication a month that already fucking exists, but he will probably not get it because we, as a country, have apparently decided profit matters more than lives. Only slightly less outrageous than this entire fucking scenario has been the reaction of several people to hearing this story. Invariably, their brows will wrinkle with concern, their faces will fall, and they will sigh heavily. Well, they'll say with a sad shake of their head, people have to make choices. There isn't money for everything, after all. The government can't always be expected to step in. Fucking excuse me? People have to make choices? This isn't deciding between a nice blouse and a pair of luxury brand jeans. This is a child's life. Maybe the government should consider spending a little less money making bombs to drop on children in other countries and instead redirect a tiny fucking fraction of that money to keeping its own citizens the fuck alive. Or at least reining in the pharmaceutical industry so that people aren't forced to choose between death and fucking homelessness. By this time in my life, I mostly expect companies to try and wring profit out of everything, regardless of morals. Although I admit even this situation was a bit of a shocker, I don't expect people who stand to gain nothing from this Darwinian fuckfest of a profit-driven philosophy to co-sign with a shrug. Is there no longer a fucking line that people won't cross over? I don't expect people who stand to gain nothing from this Darwinian fuckfest of a profit-driven philosophy to co-sign with a shrug. Thank you, Amy. Um, I've I've repeated this a hundred times when I was on the road, but uh, I always feel like that's the heart of, this is kind of the heart of why I do this. It's the the stories that can be told that are, uh, that are the, you know, that's what's important. It's the, the stories that can be told in terms of the, uh, how they affect the, the people around us. Not the stories told by politicians, not the stories told by, by political parties, the stories of the people who have to live and suffer through this bullshit and nonsense. 
Okay. All right. That was it. Let's we'll pick things up. Thank you, Amy. I'm going to, I'm going to find something a little perky to get us back on track. Wow. Here's a rant penned for us by Park Ranger Killjoy. (laughs) I like that name. Park Ranger Killjoy. It's of course not the name, not a real name, but I could read it. I got the name right. Can't really uh, say who it is because they've got to remain anonymous because they're a park ranger. I've been a fan for years and I was one of those kids who bought into all the bullshit hype about patriotism after 9-11. Well, after 20 fucking years, I'm over that shit. Seriously, I don't know what the actual fuck makes people think that patriotism equals unwavering support of all this country's stupid fucking decisions. But I'm a park ranger. I live in Northern Virginia. I work for a fairly large park service in the area in a nice park that is a lovely escape from the absolute garbage that is I-95. And I will attest to that. Having been born and raised near there and having driven through there hundreds of times, truly absolute garbage. My park features an abundance of open space, a fuck ton of bald eagles, which by the way, I promise you, that's the sound they make. On TV, they get the much sexier red tail hawk to make bird noises because the bald eagle sounds a lot like your rubber chicken. No offense to rubber chicken, and I think you'll make an excellent president in 2024. I know why we're fucked, Lewis. I absolutely, I absolutely 100% know why we are fucking screwed as a country. I see it nearly every day. As my hope for humanity slowly fades and I become park ranger killjoy who exists only to ruin the fun of taxpaying citizens. By the way, my park is 75% self-funded. These assholes maybe pay $1 a year in taxes toward keeping this place open. Maybe. A few weeks ago, we had to call in a tree-climbing arborist to extract a red-shouldered hawk from a tree. And by extract, I mean cut the kite string it was tied up in and watch helplessly as the poor thing careened to the ground. Luckily, this story has a happy ending. She'll be back soon and hopefully can continue nesting to hatch some tiny murdered chickens with her life mate, who probably thinks she died. Hopefully, he hasn't moved on to a new woman. I don't need that damn drama at work. I've got enough probably with the fucking humans that managed to get kite string at the tippy top of an 80-foot fucking sycamore tree. This is a big fucking tree. It's old as shit and now has been an unsuspecting participant in an attempted homicide. See, when normal humans fly kites, they're usually kept pretty low to the ground, but not at my park. At my park, we have fucking kite fighters. I've never heard of that. A bunch of dudes, I have never seen a woman, roll up, put their kites in the air, and then use those kites to dogfight like they're in Top Gun. I've picked up a fucking kite string that ran across three fucking football fields. Because guess what happens to the loser in a kite fight? 
they have to sacrifice their kite. Yup, that's right. They cut the fucking fishing line that they use as string and the kite fly off to the sun god or the nearest fucking tree. Lewis, I've seen a lot of shit as a park ranger. Humans exist to produce garbage. It's our thing. But this shit just infuriates me to no end and it nearly killed a fucking hawk. Look, I get it. She's not a bald eagle or whatever fancy bird the weirdos with binoculars are stalking this week. Fuck's sake, it's alive. It feels things. It remembers faces. We are fucking incapable of having a functioning fucking country because we are incapable of understanding cause and effect. I got called a bitch for daring to rant about this on a major news group-esque website. Apparently, I should just go fly a kite. Oh, boy. At this point in my life, if I could get away with it, I would have a goddamn drone armed with fire to set the fuckers on fire. Lewis, people just don't give a fuck. The trash on the ground, it's just a fact of life with the fucking kite string, come on. I wish I could build the fuckers for the cost of the arborist, because believe me, it costs a chunk of what we get from the taxpayer every goddamn year. Sincerely, Park Ranger Killjoy. P.S. Also, the fucking dog shit bags. If you can't carry the dog shit bag to the trash can up the trail, just leave the damn shit in the woods. At least that way, there's no extra fucking plastic in the ecosystem. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Park Ranger. Killjoy. Kill, kill Killjoy. Thank you very much, Park Ranger. Killjoy. Uh, that is, who knew that, who knew that there's kite fighting, kite fighting in the, in the park? In a, in a, in a, in a uh, I, 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 I just can't get over that. In, in, in a park, it's just extraordinary to me that people go out there. Of drag racing, I get. <laughs> I'm going to take. Who? What happens? Somebody calls me up. I'm going to meet you out there. We're going to. My kite's going to come at your kite. What? What, 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 how is there, is there some sort of machismo in that or machismo or whatever the word I'm trying to find is? Because, wow, that's just extraordinary. Kite fighting. Now, they should just call you Park Ranger, sane person who's got to put up with whew, some real bullshit. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That. You learn something new every day. Well, I guess it's better that, you know, that's a better way to get the aggression out than, uh, than uh, you know, you know, walking in the forest and then two guys, you know, sh shooting at each other. But I wonder if I wonder if gunfights occur after a, 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 a kite fight has gone wrong. Well, I'll stop there. I could go through 65 scenarios. You did. You you did. Go, you done good, and thank you for letting me know about this whole new. I'm surprised there's not a series called Kite Fight. Maybe you want to put that out. You might want to pitch that. 
to uh, PBS down there. WETA, I think it's called. Take care. Thank you. This comes to us from Angel. Angel from Troy. So I used to live in a part of New York that was all farmland. Now I live in a more urban part. Not overly crowded like New York City, but houses and apartments are pretty condensed. And yet, early in the day when I go to work and come from work, I hear a rooster crowing. Not an alarm clock or a phone ring, a real live rooster cock-a-fucking-doodle-doing. I'm not complaining about the noise. My, my problem is some dumbass thinking a living room is an acceptable substitute for open farmland. Hey, moron, you know why he's making all that noise? Because he is letting you know he doesn't belong there. Why? 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 Did you lose a bet? Are you still waiting to get into the egg selling business? Do you owe the rooster money and is it compromise? He's crashing on your couch? Or are you under the impression you will get chicks? Hey, baby, come back to my place and I'll show you my cock. That is assuming it's a man. It could also be a very lonely woman, but I don't want to go there. For all you shitheads who think it's okay to bring non-domestic animals into your home and hold them hostage, you're not grateful you saved them. They are not your friend. They are super happy when you leave the room. So knock it off. Thank you, Angel. I think that maybe Troy, New York, you're talking about. Bryce Smith has uh, graced us with this rant about something that no one has ever ranted about. I always love getting someone who's bitching about something that no one has uh, bitched about. Hey, Lewis, I only became a fan five years ago, and I always look forward to Wednesday mornings listening to people like me gripe about all sorts of shit. This one is about towels. Who knew? Who knew that towels could get somebody going? Well, it got Bryce going. Merriam-Webster defines the noun towel as an absorbent cloth or paper for wiping or drying. I would think that 24 years on this planet has appropriately trained me to utilize such an apparatus for this task. But then I got married. Now the word towel is defined as an instrument of limited use based on the medium of filth that requires cleaning. Lewis, there are so many fucking towels in my life now that serve only one purpose. And you can bet your ass my wife knows each one specific role, like I know the names of my bad news Chicago Bears. We have towels for liquids, towels for solids, microfiber towels for dusting, decorative towels for when we're at home, alternative decoration towels for when we have guests over. Guess what? Certain types of decorative towels for certain guests. Towels for cleaning shit off the floor. Towels for faces only. Towels for bodies. Towels. Towels. Towels! God fucking damn it! Half the time, I have to second guess myself when I'm working on cars to make sure I'm wiping oil off with the right fucking rag. I love my wife dearly. I take care of everything at the house. I cook all the meals, prep her lunch, do all the dishes and laundry, clean the kitchen regularly. The last thing on my mind is the fucking towel I'm using to wipe down the fucking counter. Shit's dirty, hun. I'm a simple man. This is a simple problem. 
please let me clean in peace and use whatever God-forsaken towel I damn well choose. <laughs> Thank you, Bryce. Give me the right towel. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. A Library of Towels by Bryce Smith. Good luck with that. Maybe you could get your own just to have a separate little box of towels, Bryce. Call them Bryce's towels. Thank you. Since uh, my mother was a teacher, I probably uh, take uh, I take a great deal of joy from reading uh, rants from teachers. As I listen to her every time that she would come back from from substitute teaching, no less, ranting and raving. And this one comes to us from Scott Driver, who I hope doesn't get into trouble since I've just used his name. Lewis, I don't even know where to start. I'm a teacher, and I'm fucking tired of getting shit on by everyone. The parents in my district yelled and complained of not being able to send their kids back to school. Not once stopping to think about the teachers. Trust me, we hate online learning more than the kids do. We put all this time and energy into creating a great lesson plan only to have students ghost us and not do their work, and then we get blamed for their student failing. Well, if you want your child to pass, they need to do their work, not me. So after all their complaining, we are now back to in-person learning with six weeks left of the fucking school year? Are you kidding me? I have to now adjust to teach the kids a new goddamn routine that is only going to be in place for six weeks? Oh, and it gets better. I only had three fucking kids show up. Really? You wanted your kids to come back to school and then you don't send them to school? Well, fuck you. We should have just scrapped this year and started fresh next year. But no, the school board and our super are sharing one brain cell between them and thought this would be a good idea. We are wasting money on heating and cooling the school for 150 students at a school of 850. This is a waste of time, money, and shows that fake respect we got back in March when schools closed was just that, fake. Well, this is only going to drive more teachers out of teaching. When you come crawling back and start complaining because your child is not being taught by a certified teacher in the fall, you will only have yourselves to blame. And all those previous teachers are going to be flipping you off and say, thanks, but fuck you. Thanks, Lewis, for letting me get that off my chest. No, thank you, Scott, for sharing that and getting it off your chest, because that's what's important. Wow. Three students show up. This rant was actually written uh, before the Stamford, Connecticut show by uh, John Pearson. Uh, and he, um, he sent it in again. And I'm glad he did. Um, I only get to do a few each night. I do about 10 or 15 minutes after the show, usually at rants, maybe 20. And uh, so I'm glad to take this opportunity to do this. And if you have one out there that you felt, hey, got maybe uh, left by the wayside, you know, uh, like John, send it back in. This one caught my eye. Lewis, I'm a CPA, or as my wife likes to call me, a constant pain in the ass. All right. <laughs> okay. And as I sit here writing this rant from home between a few tax returns I'm doing, I'm more convinced than ever that I should start working on a book about all the crazy bullshit that I hear from people 
when they are dealing with their money and their family. Yeah, there's the really funny bullshit, like when I caught a couple trying to take a write-off for their vet bills because they thought their adorable little shih tzu fluffy was their dependent. <laughs> or when one client told me he wanted to deduct the five grand he gave his asshole brother-in-law because he's never going to be anything but a friggin' charity case. Or the time when a client dropped off his tax material and told me that if he didn't get a $4,000 refund that year, he wasn't going to be able to buy a boat. Well, I don't have a fucking boat, and I made goddamn sure that that idiot didn't get one either. But then, there are the really shitty stories that I end up hearing about my role as the economic psychiatrist in the room. They didn't teach you that in college, I'm sure. Most of them have to do with divorces and how people, usually men, don't live up to their commitments. They typically go like this. Dad and mom decide to split up. They fight tooth and nail over silly shit, like who's going to have custody of their cat on the weekends. But it turns out, uh, John says in parentheses, a true story. That's uh, frightening. Um, Oh, my God. But when it comes to important shit, like supporting the kids and who's going to help pay for college, that's where the contest really begins to see who can blow smoke further up each other's ass. Promises are made, papers are signed, but no one has a fucking clue how any of this financial shit is going to happen. First of all, neither of them have hardly any money to set aside for anything anyway, because the blood-sucking lawyers have tapped them out for six figures between the two of them. And second, the spouse who makes more money, and yeah, it sucks, but it's usually the guy, right? is typically pissed off at his ex for dumping him just because he banged his office assistant a few times. So instead of keeping his high-paying job here in Fairfield County, he takes any remaining money, his hot young second wife, let me point out, slash former assistant, and moves to some Caribbean island to become a scuba diving instructor. That also turns out to be a true story. Because he's suffering from that dreaded disease called terminal assholeism and wants to live out what he thinks is his dream life before he croaks. Meanwhile, mom and the kids are stuck back here on the so-called Gold Coast, living in an oversized house, trying to maintain an overpriced lifestyle they could barely afford when Scuba Steve was still around. Only now Scuba Steve can't afford the alimony and child support that he promised, not to mention college for his kids. Ooh, I guess scuba doesn't pay quite as well as hedge funds, does it, you asshole? So at this point, mom should take him to court to pony up the money. Only she can't afford to go to court because scuba Steve and the attorney took all the cash. So the house gets sold. The 401k money gets spent. Mom, dad, and the kids take out hundreds of thousands in student loans and everyone gets screwed, except the blood-sucking attorneys. I hear stories like this over and over and over, and they make me fucking sick. And yet thankful that I was smart enough to keep my dick in my pants for these 44 years of my own marriage. I don't want to go Rodney King at this point and say, can't we all just get along? But we need to work on keeping our commitments and treating each other better, even even that miserable turd we might have married by mistake. And P.S., if there are any 
blood-sucking attorneys in the audience right now, drooling over the money they are going to make suing me for libel because they have a divorced scuba diving client named Steve who suffers from terminal assholeism. <laughs> I pick on the name Scuba Steve from a fucking character in an Adam Sandler movie. Any similarities between him and your idiot client are purely coincidental. Wow. Tough enough to be a CPA, John Pearson. <laughs> but to have to deal with the, to be the psychiatrist, to be the economic psychiatrist, terminal assholeism. That's beyond mental illness. You deal with that in a totally different way, John. Thanks for sending it back in. Appreciate it. Sussus Amugus, that's the way I'm going to go with that name, uh, wanted to share this with us. I will now tell the story of the best thing I ever saw in Playland. This was at Burger King, not McDonald's. In the South, these things are simply called Playland. A few years ago, me and my kids were eating at Burger King. And of course, we had to eat in Playland, well, because of the kids. Burger King had at this time installed talking garbage cans in there. It was probably intended as a way to get kids to throw their own trash away so employees wouldn't have to do it so much. Whoever designed those things knew nothing about children. When you put trash into the talking trash can, pushing your garbage in past that plastic spring-loaded flap which says, thank you, on it, the trash can would say, thanks for the garbage, or something like that, you know, things a talking trash can would say. Any parent could tell you what would happen next. Children know that trash cans cannot actually speak. So each successive child, having been congratulated by the trash can, would do the obvious thing and put his head inside the trash can to see who's in there. Then the spring-loaded thank you flap would swing shut and grab the children by the neck in the manner of a squirrel trap, and they could not get their heads back out and there would be flailing and muffled screaming, and they would have to be rescued by their mom. This happened over and over and over. <laughs> Kids of a certain age will put their heads in a talking trash can, even if they just saw the last kid get garroted by it. It kind of makes them even more curious. Just one kid after another getting choked by this evil instrument of torture. Thanks for the trash. It was the best thing I've ever seen. Kids leave. New kids take their place. New victims with a magic trash can. I never got tired of it. Next time we went to Burger King, they weren't there anymore. But I hope someday they will come back for another try. And I hope that they do, Sussis, for your sake. And it makes me sad that I'm, I never really went to Playland. It's a Another reason maybe I should have had children just have seen the, that talking trash can come right down on that kids, those kids' necks. Wow. Uh, I appreciate you sending that along. And I hope you find one someday. And if you do, let me know. Because uh, maybe we'll, have a, we'll get a whole tour group and head on down. I'll even hire some kids. Do a whole documentary. <laughs> Thank you. From Mark Epping Jordan, very short, very sweet. 
Hey, Lewis, just how the fuck am I supposed to see to screw in the tiny loose screw in my reading glasses? God damn it! Good luck, Mark. Thanks to all of you for listening to my Rantcast. If you have a rant you want to get off your chest, send it in to me at lewisblack.com forward slash live. You can think of it as therapy or whatever you want to think of it as. Just let it rip. And I want to thank the true stars of our show, the ranters and the splendid rants they gave us. Lewis Black's Rantcast was created and hosted by me, <laughs> Lewis Black. It is produced by James Salkind. Our theme song by Chris Lane. Executive producer, Ben Brewer. Executive producers, Matt Kleinschmidt and Robert Kelly for the Laugh Button Podcast. And most of all, thank you, all of you who ranted so well on this show. <laughs>